Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. If you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is in the back of your Bible. If you don't have one with you this morning, the words will be up there on the screen in back of me. And thank you for all of you joining us online uh, over the course of the summer. Uh, we look forward to seeing you as more and more of you start coming back. But we're glad you're here this morning to worship with us. So this past week, I saw this animated picture of Jesus, and he's supposedly in heaven, uh, speaking out of the clouds, and he's yelling down at the world below, stop, stop. And I thought, that's, that's something we can identify with, right? We would, we would like everything to stop, the, the chaos, the injustice, the outrage in our world today to just come to a halt. We want it to stop. We love for Jesus just to speak the words from heaven and just to say, hey, stop. And yet, as I reflected on that picture a little bit more, that is not the picture of Jesus at all. Jesus isn't in heaven right now, angry, anxious, upset, wondering what he's going to do. No, Jesus is seated on his throne at his Father's right hand, waiting for the day he's going to return and he is ruling and reigning as king. And yet that is a picture, I think, of us, right? We are the ones who are shouting at this world today, stop. We don't want to, to continue to, to see the outrage and the, the injustice and, and all the things that have transpired over the past weeks and even months. And yet as we consider that picture in pointing the finger and yelling louder and forcing the issue, will that make a difference in our world today? And if not, what will? If you're new with us, we've been in a series walking through the book of 1 Peter with the theme, Living Hope, a living hope. And as citizens of heaven, we're in this world now as exiles, aliens passing through this is not our home. And in the short time we're here, we're to make a difference by being different. In the immediate context here, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 to 12, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so the world must see a difference in us as Christians. We're to live as sojourners and exiles. We're to be distinctively different, holy, honorable lives, literally beautiful lives, so that the world would see there's something different about these believers and they would be attracted to our Savior. Now, Peter's going to flesh that out, what that looks like, and it may surprise us where he goes next. He's going to speak about submitting to authority. 
And so the main point I want to bring out today is this. When we stoop down low like Jesus, the world stands up and takes notice. When we stoop down low like Jesus, the world stands up and takes notice. It's Christians stooping down low. It's this humble life of submission in a world of rebellion. And it's not what we'd expect. As we're going to see, the main command that spans the next chapter for Peter is this idea of being subject to, to submit our lives, literally to place ourselves under authority given to us by God himself, even if it means unjust suffering. And so we see this repetition, this pattern of submission. If you've got your Bible there, in chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says to submit to governing authorities. In chapter 2, verse 18, we're to submit to masters or to contextualize our employers. In chapter 3, verse 1, he tells wives to submit to their husbands. In chapter 3, verse 7, husbands then likewise honor your wives. And then finally in chapter 3, verse 8, all of us are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Peter lays out this pattern of submission, and at first glance, we don't like it. We don't like this talk of subjection and submission. And yet God is breaking us. I think he's breaking us in order to become more and more like Jesus. He's doing this to humble us so that the world would stand up and take notice. And yet here's the problem. We have a bent towards rebellion, not submission. All of us in this room, we have a bent towards rebellion, not submission. Why? We're all sons and daughters of Adam. Right? All of us have this seed of rebellion within us as sinners. And not only are we sons and daughters of Adam, we're Americans. We're Americans. We value our independence, right? Our freedom from authority. And yet we confuse that Americanism with Christianity. A friend of mine recently wrote that so many people who claim to follow Jesus cannot seem to tell the difference between Americanism and Christianity. And here's his quote. Americanism says, fight for your rights, while Christianity says, lay down your rights for the sake of others. And even as Christians, we don't like to do that. We don't like to submit to authority. We don't like to be told what to do. That's all of us, including me. So this is true of us, and it was true of Peter's readers as well. And yet this problem of submission was further compounded by the volatile situation they found themselves in. If we think it's bad in our day, and it is, politically and culturally, it was even worse back then in Peter's day. When this letter was written about 64 AD, Emperor Nero was reigning in power in Rome. In ancient Rome, there was plenty of outrage, injustice, even persecution of Christians. In fact, Christians were seen as weirdos. They were rejected. They were ridiculed, even thrown into the gladiator's arena with lions to be killed. It was a volatile time. And yet Peter says, 
even though you're weirdos. Don't withdraw from this world. I want you to move into the world in a spirit of humble submission. You're to stoop down low like Jesus so that the world would stand up and take notice. So in our verses today, Peter tells them, submit to those in authority, even if it means unjust suffering, because this is your calling as a Christian. Submit to those in authority, even if it means unjust suffering, because this is your calling as a Christian. So let's start with verses 13 to 17. I want to read those. You can follow along with me. This is the word of God. Peter writes, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And that last verse, speaking of gladiators, think of Russell Crowe, it sounds kind of like him saying something like, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, right? Maybe not. Uh, verse 17, or verse 13 says, submit to those in authority. And notice he says, every, every human institution, every authority structure set up by God were to submit. That means children, timely word for you today, you're to submit to your parents. I know it's hard sometimes in the service. There's some grace for you. We welcome the sights and sounds of kids. Uh, you're welcome to even draw what you hear today, kids, as you're out there in the sermon note page or find ways to creatively engage. This is kind of a training time. Students, you know, you're called to submit to your parents and, and teachers and coaches, adults, governing authorities, your employer, law enforcement. We could go on. Every human institution we're to submit to. And yet, this isn't always easy, is it? I mean, we all have a problem with authority. We do. If you don't believe me, how many of you always obey the speed limit here in this room? Just raise your hand. Is Michael Vincent here today? Close your eyes, Michael. Uh, we, we don't like to obey authority. Um, and listen, it doesn't mean we always have to agree with those in authority, all right? I want to make sure I say that. Peter's readers aren't agreeing with, with Nero in the way he was ruling, but they were showing honor to him as emperor. Now, there will be times, maybe few and far between, where an authority figure asks you to go against the word of God. And in those times, we take a cue from Peter himself in Acts chapter 5 where he says, we must obey God rather than men. But those are fairly isolated incidences and Peter tells us here to submit to those in authority. Now, one of the ways that helps us in doing that is to remember their purpose. Look at verse 14. These authority figures are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So to punish and to praise, to restrain evil and to promote good. And the goal is human flourishing. That's why God is, has ordained for there to be authority structures. 
I think of Governor Reynolds. We've been trying to follow as best as we can the guidelines given to us, social distancing guidelines. That's why we're meeting the way we are today, to submit to our governing authorities. I think of our culture today, and it's going to be a challenge for me to be concise regarding some of the things that are going on in our culture today. Law enforcement, we're called to submit to law enforcement, and yet it does not mean that those who are wearing the badge abuse that authority and responsibility. There will be accountability for those who have, if not in this world and in the next. And we're thankful for those in our community here that are serving in that way or carrying that weight of responsibility. We thank them and we pray for them and those all over the world and the country here. And yet we're called here to submit, to submit to those in authority. And so the question might arise then, hey, if, if we live this way in submission to authority, what about our freedom? Are we going to be giving up our freedom if we live in submission to those in authority? And so Peter goes there next. In verse 16, look at it with me. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so there's this tension, right? There's this tension in this text of our freedom and, and submission. And so how do those two things relate? Well, Peter's not telling his readers you have political freedom. He's telling them you have spiritual freedom. You have ultimate freedom. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. You're free from sin. So don't use your freedom to go and sin. You're, you're freed from guilt. You're freed from death. You're freed from the enemy. And so use that freedom to serve others in love. Don't use that freedom to fight for your rights, but lay down your rights for the sake of others. And again, the question might come then, what happens if you're submitting to someone in authority, but you're suffering unjustly? And so Peter tells us in verse 18 what that looks like. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what sorrows or for what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, I want to make sure that you know these verses do not endorse and commend slavery or the abuse of those in authority. There were servants and slaves back in Peter's day, and we ought not to think of the picture of slavery in our history. Uh, most were treated very well. And yet there were situations, like Peter says here, where they were being mistreated and abused. And so he, he tells them what to do in these hard situations. It makes me think of our culture again and what happened with George Floyd in his death, and we ought to grieve and lament with our brothers and sisters of color and fight in the right way for justice in our world today. I'm also greatly saddened by the response of so many who have sinned by rioting and looting when we're called to pray and come alongside people who are hurting 
not knowing what to do with the pain. Hurt people hurt people. You've heard that before. And so we need to learn and to listen and love. And lest I stray too far away, the thrust of these verses here is that these Christians are in hard situations and we can't identify very well with them. But maybe someday we will. And so what do we do? Peter says the main thing is, if and when you suffer unjustly for your faith in Jesus, know that God sees you. He's got his eye upon you. And verse 20 says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He sees you. He knows you and he cares about you when you're being mistreated. When you're snubbed at work, he sees it. When you're passed over for that promotion, he knows about it. When life deals you a blow, you've got to know that God sees and God knows he cares. And so don't seethe in anger Don't seek out revenge. Romans 12 says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God is going to bring about justice, if not in this life, in the next. And so we're to entrust ourselves to the one who will judge justly. And so Peter says, you've got to see that there's a sense of calling and purpose in your unjust suffering. You've got to know that God is up to something bigger in your life. And so we come to the question of why. I mean, why do we need to submit to authority even if it means suffering unjustly? What reasons does Peter give? And he gives four reasons that I want to lay out here. You can see them if you're looking in the Bible right now at the word for in this text. Every time you see that word, there's a reason that pops up as to why we're to submit to authority. So here's the first one. Why submit? It's for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Look at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So this simply means that Jesus ordained these authority structures in your life. And so it honors him when you submit and obey them. So we do it for the Lord's sake. Number two, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God. You want to know the will of God? So often we think, what's the will of God for my life? He says it right here, verse 15. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So God wants you to submit to your leaders. It's his will. And in doing so, it silences the accusations of the lost. They have nothing bad to say about you because you're doing good in your community. Which, by the way, opens the door for the gospel, as we're going to see later in chapter 3, when you're suffering unjustly, and you've got this hope that rises up and this joy that's in you, people are going to look at you. This world's going to stand up and take notice and ask you, what is the reason for the hope that lies within you? And you'll be able to give a reason and a response. The will of God. Number three, for this is a gracious thing. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's a gracious thing, literally a thing of grace, a thing of beauty, something to behold as beautiful when God's people submit and suffer 
like Jesus. And number four, for to this you have been called. That's why we submit. Look at verse 21. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. This is the fourth and final reason, and it's so crucial that we get this. So listen, when we submit to authority, we're living out Christ's story. Listen, it is a high calling. It's a high calling to submit and to suffer like Christ. It's a high calling. When you're mistreated, when you're snubbed and rejected as a Christian, your story is going to look like Christ's. You're following in his footsteps. So God has set this up intentionally for us to enter into Christ's story. And this draws us into a deeper humility. When we experience suffering... And we're doing it in a way that honors God, even though it's unjust suffering. We go deeper into the heart of God, deeper into communion with Christ. You have a high calling, Christian, to follow him on the road to Calvary, downward into humility. And so Peter says, you've got to identify with Jesus. And so let me share with you what Jesus did and how he submitted, even in response to unjust suffering. He became our example. Look at verses 22 to 23. And as we look at these verses, I want you to picture Jesus being mocked at and spit upon and beaten and flogged and nails being pounded into his wrists. That's the context. Look at verse 22 and 23. He, Jesus, committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I don't know about you, but I can be, I can be upset by the littlest of things sometimes. It can set me on edge. I'm wondering, Jesus was being mocked at as the son of God. He was marching to the cross, hurling insults at him, and he's silent like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Could have yelled out, don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm the son of God who made you and I'm marching to the cross to die for you? He didn't say a word. He didn't revile in return. And he became our example in times of unjust suffering. But we need more than just his example. He's not just an example. He's also our Savior. Look at verses 24 to 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see echoes of Isaiah 53 here. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so we can't copy him here, right? We copy him as our example in unjust suffering, but we don't, we don't imitate him here. We cannot die to ransom ourselves from our own sins. This is Jesus uniquely as our Redeemer, as our sin bearer. Christ bore our sins. So he didn't shout out the world. He stooped low to save the world. 
And I, th I think surely there is no greater poetry. This is actually a poem in the original language, verses 22 to 25. Some think it was a hymn that early Christians would sing. There is no greater poetry than the one who has greatest authority, stooping down low in humility to save us. There's no more beautiful poetry than that. It's beautiful because we were rebels who resisted his authority. Every one of us here in this room, we rebelled against him. As sinners, we strayed away. As sheep, we've gone our own way. And the shepherd ran after us and rescued us. Verse 25 again says, You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. For he has come to be our example, and he has come to die for rebels like you and me. Would you trust in him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. It humbles us to consider his life of submission in a world of rebellion. And every one of us here in this room, we have not wanted to obey King Jesus. We have rebelled against him, wanted our own way, and yet you've come for us, died in our place, suffered unjustly so that we would be saved from our sins. May we place our faith in you, Jesus, today and gladly submit our lives fully to you. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.